Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello. Uh, today's guest is a lady I've had the pleasure of speaking to on numerous occasions in the past. Um, we've had some amazing conversations both on her podcast and our relationship show, which we put out at the beginning of 2021. Um, she is an author and podcaster. The podcast is the Positive Changes Self-Kick podcast, and that's also the name of her book, the Positive Changes Self-Kick book. And she's just released her new, uh, published her new works, Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. Welcome to the Relationship Guy show, Shelley F. Knight. Hello, Mr. John Kenny. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you. And how are you? Well, I'm happy we're reunited again. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. So for the listeners, could you just tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so the moment I define myself as an author and podcaster, and that's around sort of mental health and positive changes. But my background is like 30 years in healthcare. So I'm a once upon a time nurse and clinical hypnotherapist and I worked in pharmaceutical science. So very clinical background, but now more spiritual. So that's been my transition. Still a work in progress, still getting there. Yes, an interesting uh, journey that you've been on. And I'd like to know a little bit more about that today as, as we talk. Um, but first of all, I'd love to know a little bit about your new book um, because it's uh, the, the title really caught me. It's the modern day, the approach to modern day grief feeling. We were having a, a little bit of a chat about this before we came on air. Um, so could you tell uh, tell me a bit more about it and also the listeners? Yeah, so <laughs> good grief came about because I left nursing I want to say thankfully but I have to watch what I say but thankfully I had this real strong calling to leave in November 2019 and then 2020 we know what happened there mm. and it was during a conversation that was obviously meant to be with two friends and I guess I was struggling with identity John you know I'd always been well, I felt like I'd always been a nurse always had that label yeah and I'd given up nursing and I was like who am I what do I do now and it was just this spontaneous conversation, like, why did you go into nursing? Why did you leave nursing? And it's where I am today. So when I went into nursing in 2001 as a student nurse, you know, I was taking on a degree in healthcare. Mm. And what I didn't know, there's a lot of death in healthcare they don't tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of went in wanting to save the world and people started dying, not because I was a crap nurse. It's just, you know, that life cycle. And then in my personal life, the only death I'd ever had would be my dog at the age of nine. Right. And so I'd gone into nursing, started having loss, you know, of patients. But then in my own life, like my grandparents died, my stepdad died, a friend took his own life, you know, lots of loss followed. Yeah. And as I've gone through loss and life experience generally, I've changed as a person and I think, well, I don't know why I say I think I know that I've gone from a clinical mindset of understanding into a spiritual, we're more than the physical body. There's a reason why we're all here and things like that. So as I was having this conversation about why I went into nursing, but why I left, 
my friends were just gobsmacked and they just sort of went, why was that not your first book? <laughs> and it is that. It's just hopefully a guide to help so many of us that when we have loss in our life, we don't get stuck. We yeah. realise we're more than the clinical, we're more than the doctor tells us our family and friends. We're these, you know, beautiful beings with so much potential. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, we were talking uh, before the show and I was, you know, I mentioned that it, when I was a therapist, I worked with a lot of people that were struggling with loss uh, around loved ones and and a, a, a client of mine whose son had died 20 odd years ago. Uh, or 20 odd years before we were having our counselling sessions and she'd never moved on and she'd lost contact with her, both of her daughters because she was never able really to kind of process and let go of losing her son. Um, and you mentioned that when you see people in the street and, and you called it a specific name when you see them and they've got that look on their face. Can you tell tell me what that is again? Yeah, so I live in Northampton. It's quite a small town and so when I used to nurse people at the end of their life, you come part of the family, which is really a privileged thing. But then I still see them sometimes, you know, random places like supermarket car parks and that. And they still have this look, which I call frozen watchfulness, where they're still kind of observing a state of shock. And this is like three years, five years, eight years after mm -hmm. I've seen them with that face and they haven't moved on. And that just, I guess it breaks my heart a little bit. And I think... You know, I didn't realise till I met my husband that I've had quite a hard life. I wonder what, you know, where all these wrinkles come from on my face. And I think I have been through quite a lot in life. Yeah. Because I must have some inbuilt kind of resilience or feistiness. No matter what I've come through, mm. I kind of have this mindset, I've not come this far, to only come this far. And I'm always moving on. And so, like I said earlier, like my beautiful stepdad died, and my aunties have died, my friend took his own life lots of loss but I don't want to get frozen in their death do you know what I mean and I've realized from my nursing that every morning I wake up whether it's that Monday morning ugh, that some people have every morning I wake up that's a privilege denied to many uh -huh. and I don't want to get stuck I don't want to have that frozen watchfulness I don't want that one death to define my whole life story and so yeah I get a bit feisty <laughs> about you know I want to shake, wake up. And I know it's heartbreaking grief, you know, I know it mm. is. Um, I just think life's for living. And I get yeah. that it might not be the life you foresaw or wished for, but I just really want people to try, you know, this modern day approach of moving on. And, that, and that's what the book, that's what the book looks at. That's helping people to manage their, their own grief and not have that kind of state that you were talking about. Yeah, because I, I called it modern day because I when I'm, you know, I'm not 100 years old, <laughs> but, you know, 100 years ago, you know, I was raised a lot by my grandparents. And 100 years ago, like when people were born, they was born in the family home, they died in the family home. You know, we, we dealt with life and death on the front line ourselves in our home. Yeah. And over time, we've had like medical advancements, if that's a positive word to say, innovations. And it's taken away our hands-on approach to life and death, you know, that we'll have babies in hospitals, our loved ones going to hospices and hospitals, and, you know, it's taken away. And like anything in life, when you're not exposed to it, we get quite fearful. You know, mm -hmm. even if you take time off work, when you go back, you think, oh, God, I don't know what to do. I've forgotten how to be. And that's what I think's happened with society. We've forgotten how to be around, like, loss of health, dying, death, and grief. Mm -hmm. 
And so the modern day approach is, you know, a lot of ancient tools, really, if I'm honest, but it's, you know, it's more than having to go to a grief counsellor or go on medication. It's things you can do in your own home. It is like community, again, building up community and support networks. And things yeah. Like that. yeah, and I guess that's that's uh, the thing about loss, isn't it? I think I think in your book, when you talk about grief, you don't just talk about losing a loved one. I mean, anything that we have a significant attachment to or the, any relationship, whether that's with someone or something that we give meaning to, we, we will have some kind of brief reaction, loss reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, when I got the title for the book, it was just gone into lockdown like last March. And it was like the modern day approach, you know. Mm. And obviously I didn't know a pandemic was coming. I think we just thought, I thought oh, it would just be two weeks, maybe 12, you know, yeah. <laughs> started writing this book. But I believe we're all grieving because, as you say, yeah, for me, I want to change people's mindset that when you say grief, everyone thinks, well, nobody died. Because mm. when I was like sharing it, it came out in September, my friend's like, oh, I won't need to buy this book because no one's died in my family. I went, actually, grief is the loss of anything with which we have an emotional connection. So if we look at the pandemic, we've lost jobs, finances, freedom, holidays, dreams, plans, relationships, health, sense of control. I think we're all grieving, but I just don't think we recognise that. I think people are probably thinking, oh, I feel a bit tired, a bit run down, a bit low in mood, yeah. loss of direction. And they're thinking it's, you know, it's the pandemic. But I think it's probably a grief response to the pandemic as such. Yeah, I mean, there were so many people that lost so many things as well as people during this time. Even recently with the, the furlough and stuff in, and the amount of people that will be losing their jobs. And, you know, it's... Uh... It is something that has had a huge impact on everybody worldwide. And there's going to be so much loss that's occurred and so much fallout from that. And like you said, people probably aren't aware that they're low mood or their difficulty getting up in the morning or how hard they're finding it to kind of find things to kind of occupy their time and make them kind of feel better. And apart from the fact they might have COVID or long COVID themselves, um, which we know that obviously you struggled with for quite a while as well mm. with long COVID, um, mm. that, uh, you know, they're not aware of that, that what they're not processing, what they're not aware of and in, in what they have lost. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we say, relationships are in that. So, like, because it's someone you've got an emotional connection with, but they're still physically present on the earthly plane. But, you know, relationships, I know when we spoke earlier in the year, some relationships absolutely thrive because you know they reconnected where mm. others thought oh my god you're so annoying <laughs> yeah. house, oh you can't you know yeah. like I know at least two friends that have separated due to the pandemic mm. whereas others have gone and got married yeah you know but that's still a loss isn't it whether you're sort of like a loss of relationship because it's broken down or loss of being a single woman going into you know yeah his surname they're all changes in life which all have this response they are indeed, yeah. And again, like you said, it's something that's massively overlooked. It's not just, and when you say grief to somebody, they think immediately about losing a loved one or they yeah. think about death, but they don't think about everything else that we are attached to, um, that we could find ourselves letting go of, being forced to let go through no choice or thought of our own. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think... I'd like for the world is just to everyone to speak more openly about loss in life, you know, 
Mm. The word is grief, but I think people think it's death. And actually, that's bereavement. But um, yeah, grief is, you know, we're always losing things. I call them mini deaths in the Good Grief book because I think it's our way of protecting and learning. Like we're always exposed to loss. When these big losses like death of a loved one happens, we've actually already had some of those skills in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the very start, isn't it? You know, from yeah. the start of uh, our lives, there's, there's some form of attachment that we that we form with things people um and none of that is really constant yeah, I mean it, it sounds like irrelevant but it's not like my daughter's just started secondary school mm. and she's gone through the grief process because she's let go of like you know all of her mm. school friends the level of learning being driven to school and having to walk and you know at the moment she's quite hard to handle <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it is her just grieving the younger version of herself yeah. you know, going into a new unknown so yeah that's no, a massive shift isn't it I remember when I went to secondary school I went to to us my, my 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 parents didn't want me going to the, the local school because it didn't have a great reputation they managed to squeeze me into a, a different comprehensive that was a bit further away but hardly any of my friends from my primary school went to the new school um and as well as losing that status as being oldest in the year and going into being the youngest into a brand new environment trying to make new friends it can be a a massively difficult time for some people and uh it's something again that we're not not aware of and again i think like you said with your daughter she's being difficult for a reason at the moment yeah notice me save me (laughs) yeah exactly and i mean you are a constant as well i guess aren't you the thing that hasn't changed yeah um, so they you know kids do have a tendency then to look at you and you know for the support for the encouragement for the, the person that's going to be their consistent space but actually are also going to be the one that they're going to take out their stuff on <laughs> because <laughs> because you are that consistent and they trust that you're still going to love them and be there for them tomorrow um whereas in this uncertain space that they're in at the moment um they they're not really sure where they are and who they are yeah there's a lot of door slamming bit of food throwing mm. huffing yeah. and puffing whinies is very popular it, that's when she speaks in such a way that she's whining but you can't quite understand it. it's like a <laughs> quite fluent whinies monday to friday around 8 a.m <laughs> <laughs> um, well i'm sure you're doing the best that you can to support her through uh, what's going to be quite a uh, what's the word uh, it's not difficult um uh, complicated time yeah transition isn't it transitional <laughs> mm. so uh, as far as relationships are concerned I mean you know you said you've been through a, you'd had a difficult life um when you were kind of spoke to your husband and you didn't realize actually how maybe how difficult your life had been up until that point and the significance of relationships to you um what, what, growing up what was the what, what was kind of the impact on those for yourself so yeah I think when we're growing up because we don't have the comparison you're just living in that family home I think that becomes your norm and it's only like when you go to like secondary school or get married you think oh really and so I grew up in yeah I guess a loving home environment I'm an only child um, my mum and dad and myself but then my parents separated around the age of eight and it was quite a strange thing <laughs> any parents out there thinking of separating just bear this in mind so my parents like never rowed in front of me. Right. It was all done in whispers behind closed doors. And I guess that they thought they was protecting me, but actually 
even now at 47, you know, <laughs> nearly 40 years later, yeah. I'm still thinking it would have made more sense to me to have had that anger or conversations around the fact it's going to separate. Mm-hmm. So they just suddenly sort of seemed quite happy and then they just separated and divorced. Right. But then my life was divorced and be very negative for some people. I kind of got an upgrade in the nicest possible way to mum and dad if they're listening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I went to live with like my grandparents and my auntie and I just had so much love. So my mum was sort of there. So I lived with my dad for a bit, then he threw me out. Then I lived with my mum for a bit and then she remarried. So then I was with my grandparents and my auntie. It sounds horrific, but there was so much love. I'm like one of like 19 cousins. My Mm -hmm. auntie was my godmother, but like a mum. She was one of the losses I had, you know, but Mm. I had so much love around there. So I think I learned in my teenage years that, you know, things can get better and the best is yet to come and that kind of thing. Okay. But then I must have been some, I don't know, I must have oozed some kind of um, save me aura because I used to attract I don't want to say bad men because I think we're all just here for our own life lessons. Mm -hmm. But I've been... um, I had an ex that tried to kill me. I was 19. He sort of tracked me down, tried to stab me. Right. Um, then I got into another relationship. I was with him for a while. In hindsight, my older self can quite clearly recognise he was an alcoholic. Right. Um, and that was domestic violence. Yeah. And then I was on my own for years. And I met someone really lovely, but almost too lovely. Right. Um, you know what so to do about. I know it's such a thing. I mean, now my husband's kind of like that, you know, like the lovely Gary that I had after, you know, like the domestic violence and the violence and things like that. Um, but my relationships have been either really uh, aggressive or I've chose to be on my own. Mm. And then I like, had my ex, which was like so many positives in it. Um, but then I believe he had an affair. And then I met my husband and we've been together like 16 years and it's gorgeous. Yeah. So it's been really strange, like the relationship with my parents changed, but then I sort of got an upgrade and had so many people around me. It wasn't just this mm. only child, I had a massive support network. But then I, like 19 and 21, domestic violence, domestic violence, mm-hmm. I traveled, did kind of what the hell I liked. My yeah. husband would say, I still do, John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I haven't had, you know, like people go for that certain type. Yeah. I don't know if I have because I think I've changed so much as a person with like the love and loss I've had in my life that my relationships have always changed. And it's interesting, isn't it? That I mean, I'm not saying obviously that your your childhood with your parents was abusive or neglectful in any way. No. But there does seem to be a lack of maybe emotional openness uh, and something that you then experienced once they separated and you, you know, you went through that lost that grief process of that transition between being in a a relationship at home with both of your parents and then there was a, obviously a difficult experience you had with your dad there for him to kick you out um and then going to your mum and then she got remarried and then you get passed on to your grandparents where you actually then discover this and it does it in some way there's a reflection there of the the personal intimate relationships that you've had there's that beginning of kind of having difficulties with certain people uh the people that needed savings and maybe there was something or in your parents that they had unresolved issues that that you maybe became responsible for in a way and then you transitioned into this kind of more loving healthy caring environment which is 
sort of mirrored, like you said, your your personal relationships? Yeah, I think I was definitely, I suppose we all are now I'm saying it, but I was definitely the child of people carrying like the mother-father wound, you know, and I really hope that I have more of a conscious parent and that I don't have that. You know, I think we tend to look at our parents and you think, love it, I'm going to be like that. Or you're like, whoa, Nelly, and go the other way. And I think I've gone the other way. So like when my auntie died many years ago, you know, she's amazing, um, real positive influence. She was one of the ones that, you know, where I went to my grandparents, my auntie, she was that auntie. Yeah. And I was like bereft and I just cried so much. But my mum was like, oh, you know, how are you? So it was a bit of a, you know, challenging day today. And I just cried low. She goes, oh, where were the kids when you were crying? Well, next to me. She's like, oh, and that's the difference that she always hid her emotions. Like my mum and dad hid that they didn't love each other mm. and all that kind of thing. Whereas I'm very open and like crying and snotty with my kids. And, you know, that's how we learn to grieve. I mean, that's how we, you know, give ourselves permission for any emotions is we look at others. Yeah. We mirror other people. So, yeah, you know, you'll often find me crying, snotting, laughing, playing mm-hmm. silly buggers, because that's how I'm feeling. And so that's how I parent. They're so probably you're... still end up having counselling, I'm sure, John. <laughs> <might think. laughs> but, but, but they're open to that wide range of emotions. And, again, I think that's really important, something you said earlier on. When you went to your grandparents, you knew that there was life after what you were going through. And I think, again, that's what you're showing your kids. You're showing them it's okay to be all crying and snotty one minute. And then once you've processed that space, that upset, that sad space that you're in, that actually you're okay. You're okay to function. You're okay to carry on and you can be happy still. And and I mean, that's an amazing example to show your children is that actually no matter what difficulties you go through, if you allow yourself to experience that and, and process it, then when you come out the other side you've got a different way of being and you know you're going to be okay and you're giving them that that you know, that example that actually yeah they can be sad sometimes but you know the next minute you could be having a giggle and a laugh and moving on with life yeah and it's kind of like the tools in like the good grief book really that you know I don't ever want my children to be silent so I think you know they tell us the little things in life because that will then be they tell us the bigger things in life Mm. so it is just finding the tools and as, as I said our daughter recently started secondary school and she got behavior point and she was mortified John absolutely mortified my little angelic child <laughs> and it was because she'd done the workload but she said we've taught her how to self-regulate mm-hmm. so she does breath work or she'll doodle or she'll do like bullet point journaling so she was doodling a happy face and there's like um your off-task behavior point okay I did challenge the school because at the end of the day, that's what we all need in life. We need to know what works for us and how to regulate when you get, you know, overwhelmed and things like that. So, yeah, the kids, you know, you can cry, you can laugh. And it is things like go outdoors and stamp your feet, put on some music, watch a weepy film, you know, do something sensory like Play-Doh. But I do it at 47. I do the same tools I tell my kids to do because I know it's going to go far too deep. But when I nurse breast cancer patients for many years as a chemotherapy nurse, They'd kept emotions and words in. And it was literally as they're having chemotherapy, they would talk to me on a one-to-one and say, I'm so glad I finally got those words out. So Mm -hmm. glad I finally got it off my chest. Mm -hmm. And I can't scientifically prove it. I'd love to do a master's in it. But, you know, words aren't meant to be in. They're meant to be spoken, expressed. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, 
I'd rather my daughter doodled on a school book and got a behaviour point because she's expressing how she's feeling. Yeah. And keeping it in and getting you know, angel wings by the teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, again, what's, what is that teacher? What is the message of that teacher's sending to your daughter by saying that she can't have that space? Um, yeah, I guess if she's doing it all lesson, if you're not having the slightest bit of attention. Doing <laughs> murals on the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a completely different story. But like you said, if that's the way she's sitting in that space when she's feeling overwhelmed and she needs to just calm her mind to distract herself for maybe a few minutes just to get herself back into a good space. And it's something that I think uh, schools should be encouraging kids to do is to be mindful of how they're feeling. It's a topic that's popped up on uh, several times in, in the podcast. And again, I, this has only sort of, you know, been, been going for about three or four months at this point. Um, but it's something that's cropped up quite a lot from a, from a uh, from an adult point of view is the fact that, you know, we're not taught any of that at school. And it's something that's massively important when it's when it comes to life is to be able to, like, I think you use the word regulate, to self-regulate. Um, I like to use like self-soothe, you know, you'd be able to, to be okay in your own space and make yourself feel okay no matter what is coming towards you. And you need to be able to figure that out from an early age. And it is something that's very much not promoted as kids with parents mostly, um, unless there's kind of more mindful parents like yourself. And it's definitely not something that's promoted in school. Although I did see a report last week that in prior summer primary schools in the UK, now they are doing meditation classes. So I think that's a, a real positive step. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely something that we need to be taught at a very early age is to be able to manage to sit with and, and process how we feel and allow ourselves, like you said, to speak if we need to speak about how we're feeling, um, but to express that, to get it out of ourselves and then to know that there's something we can do in order to, that we, we know we're going to be okay. Yeah, and I think we all need that. As I say, I use the same tools as I tell my children to use. You know, I do go outside and do the dog walk every morning. I do like put on certain songs like I've got a playlist, I've got a creativity one if I'm doing like, you know, creating a course or I've got like, it's called fun dance one. I've even got a good grief um, playlist and the songs are inside the good grief and they're mm -hmm. ones that, you know, have meant something to me or I did a big survey. You know, music can lift us, outdoors can lift us. Mm -hmm. Finding what works for you. Yeah. I think you know, whether you're a child or an adult, you have to self-soothe as you call it in life you know you have to know you're going to be okay because i truly believe you will be yeah and like you said if, if you're not and if you if you're not given that ability to do that if someone doesn't give you that space and you know if you're not afforded the the time to figure that out for yourself when you get to an adult space you don't really know how to manage how you're feeling and, and everything can completely go out of control and escalate and become overly complicated and chaotic because you're not able to to regulate yourself yeah and surely that you'd know this because you are my relationship guru but you know if you know yourself better then your relationships are better because you know who you are you're not looking for someone else to sort of say I love you you're gorgeous you've got this you know if you mm. can't have yourself that you know the number one relationship it does impact on relationships whether they're sort of you know personal professional mm. and everything yeah, definitely i mean as i mentioned earlier on about your relationship history you know there, there seems to be a subconscious pattern playing out you know you probably weren't aware of what that was at the time but maybe you know with more upon more reflection you can see there's a connection there and it's like you said we, we 
we do need to know how to have that healthy relationship with ourselves it's is the most important relationship you're ever going to have because as you said it's it will dictate all the relationships that you have in your life and actually the things that you allow and don't allow outside of your relationships to yourself so it's massively important that your relationship with you is massive is, is really healthy and you, you understand who you are and, and you do that that self-reflection and self-acknowledgement and self-understanding yeah i've never been a needy girlfriend we get people phoning from the show begging to differ but no i, I never yeah. have and i think i'm just a really simple soul i don't think i'm special i think i'm really simple that if i'm with someone I guess they want to be with me. And if they don't want to be with me, I guess they don't want to be with me. And that's how I see it. I'd never chase anyone. You know, that's not personally of any interest to me. Like, if you want to be with me, great, let's be together. Mm -hmm. If you don't, okay, I believe, you know, reason, a season, a lifetime, that's fine by me. Yeah. But I do see other people, even like my children in friendships, that they will chase friendships. I'm like, don't bother. You get through 400 friendships in your lifetime, science tells us, don't bother, love, Joy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... It probably comes down to, you know, finding the tools that work for me, yeah. creating time for me. I love my own company. People must think I'm an only child, but I don't think it is that. I think it is just years of, you know, working on myself, liking what I find. And if I don't, you know, if I find something I don't like about myself, dive mm. into why not, you know. Yeah. I'm not all light. I do have a dark side. Yeah, and I think it's, like you say, I'm not an only child and I love my own space. Um, but, yeah, I think there is that we all have we all have multifacets to our personality and who we are as human beings and some of those things may not be the most positive um but it's about accepting that as a whole package of who you are and and if there are things that you're unhappy about that you want to change then make sure that you put the time and the effort into to change those within yourself so that you can feel good within you about what you're doing um but actually sometimes we just need to accept that there are things that we're going to do, which we might not necessarily be overly happy about. And other people will definitely not be particularly happy about. But like you said, that's not really something that really needs to concern you. Like you said, with your, your daughter's chasing her friends, you know, there's no need to do that. And if someone doesn't want to be around you, for whatever reason, they're, they're not giving or are giving, um, then it's if you've got a, an okay or good relationship with yourself, it's something that you can be you'll be all right with. Yeah, and I really think that I think you know you just have to like yourself. It sounds quite macabre, but you know I do say that the relationship you have with yourself is the most important because it's the only one you have from your first breath to your last. You know, mm -hmm. like parents will come and go, friendships will come and go, probably relationships, jobs. Mm -hmm. You're your only consistent you know state in your life so you've got to like it you can't run away from yourself you'd be like a dog chasing its tail wouldn't you if you're trying to get away from yourself yeah. so yeah just find out who you are accept who you are in that moment and if you don't like something change it mm. and it's not instant do you know what I mean but no definitely not we know that with the journeys that we've been on ourselves that you know I've been in self-development personal development now since 2004 and I'm constantly evolving as a human being uh, and there are things that still get to me uh, and my instant reaction to them is still there it's uh, because of you know the experiences I've had in the past and my brain automatically goes into a stress mode or fight or flight or whatever space it goes into um, 
as a as a subconscious reaction to something but actually knowing that now enables me to nip it in the bud quickly um where it used to last for months it would now maybe last for hours and sometimes only minutes um but it's only because i know what it is that's being triggered and i know those feelings i know how i know what's going on in my body i can completely understand the state that i'm getting myself into because of the situation that's in front of me uh, and that's taken me a long long time to be aware of that and sometimes i miss it uh, but other times it's uh, it's something i can get on top of immediately but if we're not aware of that within ourselves we're not aware of what our triggers are we're not aware of the things that you know might send us into certain directions then they're just going to keep leading our lives for us rather than us being able to control that and take ourselves off in the direction we want to. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's why, you know, about grief in relationships. So even if you're having a relationship breakup or if someone dies, like your loved one dies, it goes back to, like, identity. Like, you forget who you are. You know that term, like, oh, my other half? Mm. I'm just like, you know, you're a whole before you met them, but... Mm lose sight of it we you know our dreams are you know kind of their dreams and our mm. choices are impacted because of their preferences and mm. you know, when you have grief whether they just like you know left you or you leave them or they've died it is you're finding yourself again you say you're a process you know working process since 2004 and it is because relationships change we change and it's just we're constantly sort of like outgrowing who we were shrinking feeling vulnerable growing again mm. And so, yeah, listening to this is the relationship show, just thinking, yeah, I don't know who I am. And that's probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. You might not know who you are, but yeah. rather than find out who you are, find out what you like and dislike and discover who you are, because you're probably mm. not the same person who went into that relationship anyway. No, you're definitely right. We do have a tendency to not be authentic, our authentic selves, don't we, when it comes to relationships a lot of the time. I think what you were saying earlier on was, was very interesting, although you made like a dokey point about it. You still do you in your relationship i think that's what makes your relationship probably as healthy as it is is that you both you you have a connection within your relationship which means you have a relationship there but you actually still do you yeah within that relationship you know even with with your children you're not just the mum maybe you're you're not just the partner you're just not this you are shelly yeah <laughs> regardless of what role you are playing you are still shelly and i think that's a massively important thing for people to remember because we can get lost in relationships we can define ourselves and especially when it comes to grief especially with bereavement if we define ourselves as a wife or a husband or a mother or father and that thing is then not in our lives anymore then our whole role has disappeared um, and if that was the only way we defined ourselves um, then that is going to be an extra loss and difficult space because we have no sight of who we are in that moment yeah, and I know grief is really hard as well. Like if you're in a relationship and then loved ones die, it's mm. really hard because the dynamics of the relationship change because then suddenly you might need them a bit more, your emotions might be more heightened to what they're used to. And I had a beautiful guest on um, my show, Positive Changes podcast, Nikki Duffel, and she just brought it home to me about this whole new level of grief. She had many losses. I think it was like two weeks before she was getting married her mother-in-law died. Six months later, her mum was diagnosed with cancer. Six months later, she died. And then her relationship died. They, you know, it was just so much loss that they, mm. their relationship died. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? That grief 
whilst somebody loved one might die of yours, there's a ripple effect through all of your relationships. Uh, and yeah, you, you get home to me. Like obviously, she had very intense. Like within two years, she lost her mother-in-law, her mother, then her husband didn't die. But again, it was that loss. Uh, you know, and it was that she goes, we just, you know, because they both lost their mother, uh, it was really hard for them to be who they used to be together. They, right. were, you know, their needs changed in that. Yeah. Yeah, and it would do. It would be a massive change uh, in in your life. But I guess if you've got that stability within your relationship, uh, and hopefully you'll you'll be able to, regardless of those difficult things, those spaces you go through, that you are able to be there in that space with each other, and and the relationship doesn't need to die as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's it's interesting the what grief and loss can do so where can uh, people get a copy of the good grief the a to z approach of modern day grief healing from it's everywhere <laughs> it's, like a, it's a bit like the pandemic isn't it it's on amazon i mean it's kindle barnes and noble or online book retailers john hunt publishing my website shellyfnight.com um, i'm very excited you can get it in wh smith you can order it from wh smith here in the uk I spent so much of my childhood looking through their bookshelves and yeah. now you can order my book from there so yeah it's I mean, Amazon's the one that everyone goes to but it is available around the world right. slightly hard to get in Australia according to my cousin but it is out there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you for that um I mean as as you are as this is this has just come out um is there something you can leave the listeners with that you know as a I don't like to call them tips, but is there a, a, a top maybe bit of advice or input you can give to people that maybe are struggling in, in, in the space of grief at the moment? Yeah, I would say make time for grief. I mean, my first book, Positive Change, the self-kick book, came about like, it's very jovial, it's not like good grief. And it's because it's all bite-sized chapters, the first book. Mm. Everyone just always seems busy they tell me they're busy John but I don't know if people are busy or if they're just avoiding mm. and so I would say if you are in grief and that is like loss of health job relationship loved one direction dreams make time for yourself each and every day and I always say 10 minutes but then inside I'm sh- trying to shout out one hour of the 24 <laughs> hours um just sit with your grief and that doesn't have to look a certain way because men grieve differently to women and it depends what you've been through in life, but just sit mm. down in silence. And trust me, if you do it for 10 minutes, you're going to think it's three hours initially. Mm. But just sit down in silence and just say to your body, the universe, God, whatever your belief system is, maybe just believe in yourself and that's awesome. Just ask yourself what you need to know in this moment, you know, and see what comes up, light a candle, focus on that, but in silence, not looking at your phone, because we don't stop. We're always thinking, if we just get through this, I just need to do that, you know. And actually, when we stop and take time, we'll get the answers for actually how we are meant to get through it. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, people, my husband calls me a hippie, but I will, like, speak to the universe, call in a guide. But just sit with yourself, you know. Are you feeling happy? Are you sad? Can you feel a sensation somewhere in your body? You know, ask a question but just sit alone cry snot sing something but just stop eating every day right awesome that's an amazing piece of advice and there's something that i definitely take take 
up myself um, in order to create a healthier space for myself is always you know you just need that time just to, just to your, your own thoughts and your own emotions and see where you are and like you said there just be able to say what do you want to do with yourself right in this moment and uh, rather than trying to just carry on regardless yeah I mean some people take pen and paper they like to just doodle so they feel like they're doing something mm. like my daughter she can't actually stop so you could doodle or journaling comes up so many times the tips and tools on my podcast it comes up look, I'd record for a month you know at least one of those will say journaling mm. and people say what well, I don't know what to write and I tell John write that I don't know what to write and just keep writing it because it connects the minds and something will start to come so journaling or doodling if you really just can't sit there then start to yeah move one small part of you but that's it you still got to sit there <laughs> on that note um thank you very much for being on the show um how can people get in touch with you if they want to speak to you a bit more about what you do so i am shelly f knight and that's on facebook where you can message me i'm on twitter linkedin instagram youtube so send me a message and i will endeavor to come back to you lovely uh, i'm sure everyone agrees it's been a great conversation today thank you very much for being a guest on the relationship guy show um shelly f knight thank you thank you for having me thank you for listening please subscribe follow and review the show that is very much appreciated and please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy intimate relationships in your life i will leave you with this quote from carl bond although we can't go back and make a brand new start we can start now and make a brand new ending i look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the relationship guide